Hello, Canada and the rest of the world, and welcome to the Netflix Podcast, the show where we review the movies available to stream on Canadian Netflix. I'm Dylan Clark Moore, and joining me here today is Josh Morrison. Josh is a doctoral candidate in the Screen Arts and Cultures Department at the University of Michigan. How's it going, Josh? Going well. Did that I get was a very official intro. It's nice. Well, I feel I, important. You should. I am not, but okay. I was going to start reading off all the uh, fields of study that you have on here, but... Oh, uh, God, you found my bio, didn't I you? I did. Dear Lord. I did. <laughs> and what a bio it is. Isn't it just... Before we get started, I do want to let the world know that today's episode is brought to you in part by UnLondon's 121 Studios, London's premier digital media hub and co-working space. Visit 121studios.ca for more information. Is there anything interesting you've been watching on Netflix recently, Josh? I have to admit, as a film and media and television scholar, I've actually been super impressed with what Netflix has been putting out in their original series, which I assume are also available in Canada. Yes? Yes. Oh, I live yes, in America yes. so most said of the time. University of Michigan, right? So, yes. But he- I am a Canadian. I'm not a foreigner, I swear. But no, um, Grace and Frankie got me through grading midterms. I'm not I love lie. Grace and Frankie so much. Um, Lily Tomlin is one of my heroes. I adore her. Um, now also officially out, which I'm not going to lie. When she came out, I was like, wait, really, Lily Tomlin? Because you, n- everyone, nobody. Okay. Uh, cool. Grace and Frankie, anything else that's uh, it's been of note? or? <sighs> See, I, I've spent a lot of time watching like really like fluffy television because last semester i was a ta for fascist cinemas which let me tell you was just a bucket full of laughs um, so i've been watching a lot of like i've been going back to bojack horseman because i think dealing with american undergrads writing about fascism so bad writing with fascism something as dark as bojack has been really helpful actually well the uh, the movie that we're here to talk about this week <laughs> has nothing to do with fascism has nothing to do with fascism from 1981 directed by jim henson we're here to talk about the great muppet caper before we get into it we want to look at how netflix describes this movie first of all when you hover over it it says diamonds may be a pig's best friend but this one swears she didn't steal them a muppet mystery is afoot <laughs> dot 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 piggy doesn't steal piggy gets given to let's be real when you click on the movie the description changes to journalist kermit and Fozzie go on the trail of a thief who has stolen a diamond necklace meanwhile spicy swine miss piggy is framed for the heist spicy swine spicy swine what is this jerk pork wait i guess oh my god uh the genres it belongs to are quite lengthy so children and family movies movies for ages two to four uh movies for ages five to seven yeah movies for ages eight to ten yeah family features family adventures okay family comedies yep kids music Eh. and comedies and its mood is described as goofy that's fair so i've got to ask um we kind of waffled a little bit about which muppet movie to talk about but there was never any question that we weren't going to talk about the Muppets. Yeah. So, uh, first of all, why the Muppets in general? And then why the Great Muppet Caper? Okay. So, why the Muppets in general? Um, I have been a fan of the Muppets my entire life. Uh, I used to watch them in syndication on YTV at 3 p.m. Uh, I'd come home from my half-day kindergarten. It ended at noon. I'd get home by about 1230. Um, and then I had to wait in agony for two and a half hours until the Muppet Show came on. And my and I I remember sitting through the Friendly Giant at 230 and just like, re- like regardless of what was happening on said, you know, amazing Canadian television show, um, part of our heritage, Culture Minute, um, was like 
I just was like, no, you're not a Muppet. Go away. And also your like giraffe puppet is pathetic and sad. Um, because <laughs> that is it a is really unfortunate lead in. It's uh, like you're there to watch the Muppets and you get this. Yeah. This, this sad rubber hand puppet. Yeah. yeah out mm-hmm. of a bag always. He always kept his animals in a bag and I never understood why. No, the giraffe. The giraffe was coming through the window. Someone was out of a bag. Yeah. Rusty. The r- rooster was in a bag and it was to hide the hand. <laughs> Yeah, well, I get now. I get why now, but as a kid, I mean, compared to the Muppets, where like, well, whatever. I, I'll talk about the technical features of the Great Muppet Caper in a bit. But I, um, I do remember Jeremy Hotz had a great bit about uh, the Friendly Giant, where he was talking about how weird that show was. Like, it's it was the really middle of strange. Canada, and there's a giraffe just sticking its head through the window, and then you've got a rooster nailed to a wall in a bag welcome to all of canadians children's television have you watched stuff out of quebec i have yeah never. french canadian children's television shit will give you nightmares like tupi and binu and like up front that what that pineapple's name anana anana from telefrance i love that guy actually i i had a recurring nightmare with a from a puppet from a telefrance episode yeah no it's a safety video where i've talked to a bunch of people about this and i'm the only one who remembers it this don't you put it in your mouth no, but okay. also amazing. It was something in the style of Anana, and I remember it was about not playing around with like farm equipment, and a cat got run over by a tractor. And the image is of the cat like laying on its Canadian back. Children's television is terrible. And just like, as this tractor is. It's awful. That's like the. Do you remember the War Amps ad with the poorly animated robot actor who gets its arm cut off constantly? <laughs> I can reattach my arm, but you can <laughs> support the Canadian War Amps. Um. <laughs> and people wonder why Canadian children are so weird. I'm uh, just saying. Okay, it's anyway. incredible. <laughs> so yes, why so, the Muppets? Yes, um, I as a kid i mean i clearly only like understand this in retrospect but the muppets for me um were really my first exposure to anything that i think helped me understand why i felt different as a young queer child who no shock to you someone who knows me never really successfully stayed in the closet ever although dylan knew me when i was he met me in first year when i moved away from home and exploded out of the closet in a flurry of glitter but <laughs> i think i've actually calmed down a little bit now <laughs> oh yeah with the the green glasses and yeah. the, these yeah. are my conservative glasses i have four pairs oh um, perfect yeah um business <laughs> so wore your business glasses I did. this Yes, not my party glasses. Oh, I appreciate um, that. Shows how seriously you're taking this. Yeah. Anyway, so um, Miss Piggy was like my hero as a kid. Okay. Um, again, surprise to no one who knows me. Um, but it, that show was so like, for a kid show, for one thing, I didn't even understand all the jokes, but I understood that it was really smart and well written. But yeah, it was this show with this like fabulous leading lady who took shit from no one and who everybody loved her for all her craziness i didn't actually care about kermit that much to be honest um i also love statler and waldorf mm-hmm. also probably no surprise to people who know me snarky <laughs> professional catty the, bitches yeah, yeah. <laughs> um assholes in the balcony um so i've been a muppet fan my whole life which is why when i'm whenever we get to the new muppet show section prepare yourselves but why I chose The Great Muppet Caper was being Canadian Netflix, Netflix, the options are limited. Right. Um, it was either this or, or the, the new Muppets. 2011 The Muppets. And actually, even on American Netflix, the, the old films actually come and go fairly quickly. Um, I've watched most of them on Netflix, but they're never all there at once. Um, but I wanted to pick something specifically from the classic, what I, what I designate as the classic 80s, 70s, 80s Muppets, um, because 
particularly from a technical standpoint, I actually find the new movies far less impressive um, because digital's made everything super easy for them. Not, to t- I'm completely turning into that like curmudgeonly film scholar who's like, in my day, we had 35 millimeter film and nobody had computers to like whatever. But, um, but I, I wanted to choose this movie. Also, has some of the best. I actually think it has some of the best puppetry sequences. Like to achieve what they did, I was looking up trivia on the Muppet Wiki wiki uh fan site which is actually extremely good um it's well well curated and according to them there's only two moments where miss piggy has a full body double i actually think there are four um i found two others in the film that i'm convinced are a real human in a piggy suit but other than that um everything's puppets including the bike riding scene the um undersea synchronized swimming is all puppet Mm -hmm. miss piggy um, there's one moment that's actually one of the moments where there's a double when she dives in at the end. So the other one that I noticed was when she's uh, walking in the rain through the alley. Yeah, that's the other one that okay. the, the yeah. wiki page points out. The one that I found or one or two, depending on how two or three shots, one scene is during the motorcycle chase at the end. Um, I'm pretty sure all of the long shots with the cars behind the motorcycle is a double. Fair enough. Um, the, the proportions of piggy change mm-hmm. um, if you're looking carefully. But but yeah, this also the. Um, that sequence where Kermit's putting on his top hat and does the Fred Astaire style dance and his shadow starts dancing on its own. That mm-hmm. was all puppet. Um, that actually took, according to the trivia that I found, um, 43 takes to do that. It was the, they had to shoot that scene the most times of anything in the film. Um, the bicycles in the park are all puppets and they mostly were created apparent. I don't still to this, frankly, don't understand the physics of this, but, um, most of the, the Muppets were put on the bicycles full body and then they had, the puppeteers they somehow strung those bikes and kept them upright and that's what i don't understand yeah that's because they were like yeah it was, it, was, it was done by somebody pulling them i'm like that doesn't Brian Hansen. i was like pulling a bike doesn't mean that it's gonna stay upright like there's some kind of there's magic going on there probably my guess is that there was probably something in the sidewalk stabilizing the bikes or keeping them upright but um no that was all puppets so this movie actually has a lot of the very best puppetry which to me makes sense because um this came out in 81 it's the second muppet film and 81 was also the last year the original show was on the air so they were five years into that show and very practiced at this point um and if you compare it to the first movie the which i think was also called the muppets there's now two movies and one tv show just called the muppets which is entirely confusing and i blame disney for but even in that movie like the puppetry is not quite as sophisticated as caper uh, muppets take manhattan also had some fairly subtle puppetry but i don't think it was quite as showy as caper so i was glad mm-hmm. this one was there um i'd never seen it before originally we were talking about uh we we're going to do the the 2011 movie the muppets which i was excited about because that was i uh, my first one in my adulthood to that i've seen um because i remember caper quite or not caper i remember um upstate manhattan quite fondly from watching it when i was like 10 or 12 but the muppets i remember seeing it in theaters and i absolutely adored it and at the time that was when my wife was pregnant with our first and so i was super excited to like show this to my kids when they got older so i'm excited to show them that but it was also i'm glad to do this because i haven't seen caper before so it's i really wanted to bring it back and see where the roots of it were from because even without having much of a foundation the 2011 movie felt very nostalgic to something that i still hadn't experienced but i still got residual nostalgia from it i actually no i like the new movies actually both um the muppets and most wanted were actually were both quite good i saw them in theaters i squealed most of the way through the 2011 one i'm i saw it late (laughs) enough that there weren't many people in the theater and i'm glad there weren't no i think they actually have been very and the 2011 one in particular was worked very hard to stay true to the classic feel, mm-hmm. which after the diversion of the movies in the 90s, I think was actually quite a nice change and in some ways brought it back to being 
well, it was still like family kids entertainment, but brought back some of the adult elements that in the 90s. For me, there's the period of the 80s classics and then this like 90s update um, where they moved to more kids, which is like Christmas Carol, Muppet Treasure Island, which I remember seeing. I think I was like five when that came out. Muppets from Space, which I have all sorts of feelings about later. They also had the TV Sesame Street crossover Muppet Family Christmas or there's a whole series of Christmas movies. Christmas Carol, Very Merry Muppet Christmas Movie, and then Muppet uh, Letters to Santa, which was whatever. And then they move on to the Disney reboots. There was also the 2005 Muppet Wizard of Oz, which is, yeah. I don't it, even remember that. It was okay. It stars Ashanti as Dorothy and Queen Latifah as her aunt. So, like, good cast. Um, it was so-so. Um, I didn't really know where to put that in my periodization. And then they also, in the 90s, part of the 90s reboot was also the attempt at Muppets Tonight, a new variety show, which only went, like, a season. Mm-hmm or two seasons um 22 episodes and then of course the new horrific shit show that is the muppets (laughs) but you know i think um the 2011 movie was very very careful about keeping all the old jokes introducing new characters that made sense to the pantheon Mm -hmm. um it was clear to me that uh uh, what's his name the star jason siegel yeah he he clearly must have been a muppet fan when he put this film together absolutely um and they continued the tradition of a ridiculous number of celebrity cameos which i also appreciated one thing that i think that this movie definitely got right was the and this is something i've always just been impressed with with even the worst jim henson related movies is just the 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 magical movement of the characters (laughs) yeah well dark crystal i like labyrinth i despise i have a i know i'm so sorry I actually, I, I'm neutral on Labyrinth. I'm just, I, no one hates Labyrinth. No, oh, I hate Labyrinth. I, I, I find it to be pretty unwatchable. Welcome to being a meteor curmudgeon, just like me. Yay! Hello. I really, uh, I mean, just when you get into the fire swamp, there's this diversion of 10 minutes of just, this is nonsense and garbage and Is David Bowie in that stop. 10 minutes? No. Oh, it's, then it should have been cut out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if they just cut down to only the David Bowie parts of that film, it would A, be shorter and B, be awesome. Yeah. Um, but something that this movie really got right is just capturing the the whole magic of the yeah, you know, and it really comes down to the puppetry. Like it's something that, as you said, like they've got really figured out at this point, yeah. and it's so always special and surreal to watch these insane ludicrous characters interacting with real people yeah and the fact that you get to bounce around between now we're treating them like they're puppets and now we're treating them like they're people and you get to do both and you get it even more than you get it with uh like movies that blend animation with yeah real acting like you sort of get that with your uh who framed roger rabbit or even even things that have cg yep. characters layered on top but it's different when it's the muppets because it's even sillier somehow but it's more real at the same time because it's tactile like those yeah. characters are actually interacting on the same stage with the same people well and on top of that i think what adds to the silliness is we don't see this but like if you ever look if you just google like behind the scenes photos of the original muppet show from with the 76 to 81 one like it's not just that they're actually interacting with them like the puppeteers meanwhile are like shoved into like little boxes under the stage or behind the stage shoving their hands through things like it's it is like physically utterly ridiculous the entire process and i think that that zaniness for me i think at least it comes through in the bizarre madcap human muppet interactions one thing i was actually looking for when watching this for this podcast was i was trying to i like to play the game of trying to figure out exactly where the puppeteers are and how the how the hell this is happening yeah. and i'm not gonna lie this movie stumps me consistently because there's just a lot of scenes where like trying to figure out how they made it work is interesting this scene all uh, this movie also i don't 
I don't know if, how this compares to the other ones, but it has a lot of like really long shots. Like these were well thought out things that they were not just like doing like three seconds of action, cutting, resetting the puppets. Like this was a well-oiled machine from a technical standpoint where even when there are cuts inserted, like it's fairly easy to tell that they were doing entire scenes at once, um, which is really impressive for some of what they did in this film. Yeah. I'm going back to the bicycle scene again with the, uh, it's an easier pill to swallow when they're going straight, but when Mm. Kermit and Piggy do those loops towards each other, like it's, that's, that's the part that's magic, right? That's the part that's not even, it's not even, I see how you did that and I'm impressed. That's no, the part that feels no like idea. magic. And you don't know and it's fun to guess, but it's also fun to just kind of watch it, but to understand that something is making this work and you just kind of throw up your, your hands in the air and say like, it's either robots or magic. I don't, I don't even care anymore. My, I mean, my guesses were not quite robots given the time period, but like I was either guessing like electromagnetism, if that was a soundstage, maybe there were magnets underneath that were moving the bicycles and keeping them upright although i think that that's a stretch i mean they also were masters of the invisible lines from the ceiling but Mm -hmm. i yeah no that sequence where kermit and piggy are um circling around each other and it's a very long take i have no idea and isn't that amazing yeah magic magic of cinema yeah right there beautiful um in a way that all the new like not not to constantly shit on the new tv show but here we go um like all their weird cg like making them look like they can walk to me reads as completely fake which i think is because i think part of the new show is that uh, much like when star Wars rebooted and decided to kick all of its old fans out um ooh, fighting words like i think they're not trying for the original audience of the muppets because compared to the puppetry that reads as fake even though it looks more i don't know like natural photorealistic because it's just bullshit like like we still know they're puppets you don't have to <laughs> right like when i see puppet feet like muppet feet moving what i think of is like in the happiness hotel sequence when the rats are carrying away their suitcases and you can see that the rats are clearly on some sort of like they're being pulled through because like only one of their feet is touching the ground at a time and they're all in sequence and it it's n- entirely not photorealistic right but that's real for the muppets like that is what should be happening and it's adorable and cute <laughs> and hilarious um and adds to the already awesomeness that is that number i mean the other reason i liked ended up switching you on the last minute thank you um and doing this movie instead of the 2011 one um poor dylan dealing with a diva academic um (laughs) a couple of important things for this movie to the canon just like trivia wise this is the movie where gonzo's official status as a whatever is actually cemented on screen um when they're being shipped to england the first time their boxes are labeled pig frog whatever or sorry um bear frog whatever right the song the first time it happens from the Supper Club, as John Cleese reminded us. Um, Oh, you can't be blamed, honey. Uh, Was nominated for Best Song at the Academy Awards that year, the 54th. Right. Okay. So Um, so the, uh, the music something that i that really shines through with this and it's something i've heard said about other shows and other pieces of culture but it's never rung more true than with the muppets and that's just how how in love with music the people who are making this movie are yeah because like you hear that said all the time especially by seth MacFarlane, about how in love with music family guy is and that they love doing these Mm. big opulent show pieces but it feels more sincere here because it seems like it takes <laughs> because it's not Seth MacFarlane. Well, you know, I, I like the show, but I, <laughs> sorry, <laughs> it seems like there's just there's something a bit more special when you take the time to have like your band 
in oh, I love like them. your band of puppets. Dr. Teeth puppets, and the Electric Mayhem. Yeah, when you take the time to have them actually synchronize with the music and you almost believe that Dr. Teeth is actually playing the piano. And you're like, of course this isn't true. No. But, but when you're watching it, everything is synced up and everybody who's playing that puppet understands how the instrument that they're playing works. Well, I mean, I think for me, this goes back to part of why it bothers me that this film is... Well, less the film, but the TV show is everyone thinks of it as being strictly like a children's phenomenon because Sesame Street was right. That came first. Sesame Street was Kermit was introduced on Sesame Street first. Um, He actually on the original two um, pilot episodes of the Muppets. He was actually just a cameo. And the guy who'd become the band leader was the host. But this show was actually meant to be Jim Henson's attempt to not be pigeonholed as a children's entertainer sure um because it it was a variety show very much in a moment in television history where variety shows were big it was running along as far as i know it was running alongside the carol burnett show um which i think that you can draw a lot of parallels between the original tv show and that she also came on to the show several times once in a really iconic episode where they were having a charity dance-a-thon in the theater and so they everyone had to keep dancing there had to be people dancing 24 7 and carol burnett came on not as herself but as the um maid character who was the opening of the carol burnett show and she actually played in character the whole time being sad that she couldn't dance and it was an iconic episode but music was completely central to this like a lot of work went into the theme song and actually the only primetime emmy No, that's not true. They've won several primetime Emmys, actually, the TV show. But the biggest one they won was actually for, interestingly, children's album for the soundtrack from the first season of the show, um, which was the only indication at the time that that show was being marketed to children because it was not. It aired in primetime, 7.30 p.m. in the U.S. Um, It aired as an adult show. And the music was a big part of that. Most of many of the special guests they were bringing on were musical. They also had... Even a lot of the actors and actresses who are not musicians would do comedic musical numbers like the the Liberace episode, which was in season one or two, is one of the best. Rather than doing several numbers throughout, he just shows up for the first 15 minutes or 10, 15 minutes of the show, the first half just occasionally. And then the entire second half is a big concert he does called for the birds where it's it's literally just like number after number of ridiculous bird puppets with Liberace in the middle of it because... (laughs) Liberace. Because, of course. Yes. Um, right. Covered in rhinestones and, you know, but he was hetero at the time, apparently. But yeah, so like music has always been central to this. And I think that in this this classic period of the films in particular, that really carries through. And even though these films do move more towards family entertainment, I still don't actually think that they were meant to be just a children's phenomenon. It's really not until the 90s when people start rebranding the Muppets mm-hmm. into kids, which partially happened with Treasure Island which was clearly meant for children. But also, I I did some research. 1994 is when The Muppet Show started um, syndicating on Nickelodeon in the U.S. And I I wasn't able to find specific dates of when YTV picked it up, but given that I was watching it in kindergarten, which was 1992. So it's really in the 90s that this becomes a children's thing. And I actually think that the music is a large part of why it's not a strictly children's entertainment medium mm-hmm. um, so when you were younger as a child were you i mean obviously music is a big part of your life as yes. well i mean all that uh, undergrad stuff one of the degrees on there is uh <laughs> is a, a bachelor of music so like did you find that when it came to the musical parts that you maybe started to gain an appreciation for music because of the show or was it the opposite that you just kind of sat through those and you waited to get back to the, oh, no, the Muppet the, parts you can, i mean if you don't like musical numbers that show is not going to be entertaining to you um because it's it's not just the guest stars like the vast majority of that show is musical numbers of some kind but no i mean the music was a huge part of it and it's also part of 
if when we get to many things I can say about queerness and camp and feminism in this show, I think that the music's actually super central to that as well. And no, the musical numbers are everything, particularly because if you have gone through life considering Miss Piggy to be one of your feminist heroes, as I have, um, then the music has to be central to that because she's the star, right? She's the triple threat singer, actress, diva. I mean, I'm frankly shocked she hasn't got EGOT. She should. She deserves it. Sorry, EGOT, um, being that you've won one of every major award, Emmy, Grammy, Oscar, Tony. Gotcha. EGOT. Okay. Well, did um, you, uh, did you, uh, you've done a lot of research into this. Do you see what award she did win for this movie? Specifically none. Um, no. And this movie did not specifically. She did win an award. Really? Yes. Oh, so I missed this. In 198, this is right off of Wikipedia. So because, Huzzah. because you were buried in the Muppetpedia. Right. Uh, <laughs> not the general one. Yeah. Right. So it says in 1981, Miss Piggy won the Youth in Film Award for Best Young Musical Recording Artist for her performance of The First Time It Happens, becoming the <gasps> first and only non-human recipient of this in the history of this award amazing so that's especially astounding to me because that's a real award apparently for no i I looked up the kind of the synopsis of that award for for the year it's a real award she beat actual people yeah and she won it for being the best young musical recording artist which is interesting that they definitely define her as young is interesting right I also it's another thing watching this movie that I hadn't thought about till rewatching it specifically for this in, with this in mind was um, the songs in this movie are actually fairly adult. And that's why this film, I think, is family entertainment. But like a lot of the stuff I think is geared towards kids was actually not the music, which is interesting because like that song. I'm not surprised that's the one that also got nominated for the best song Oscar, because it's actually like if you take it out of the context of Muppets, that was a lovely song written for a movie to win an oscar that was a love song and had a great musical number in it and you know the tap dance number like it was very much like a you could have lifted that out of singing in the rain which putting it in singing in the rain would make that movie passable so i know film studies fighting words i hate that film what i hate that film so much oh my goodness when i eventually have to teach intro to film studies and have to do musicals i'm doing xanadu um <laughs> screw singing in the rain i hate that film um <laughs> That is a terror. I'm sorry. Okay. <laughs> Slight diversion. You just discovered one of my films that gets mentioned in section and then my students listen to me rant for 10 minutes instead of teaching things. That film, to me, when I watch it, all I see is this like sad, sad, sad story of unrequited gay love and Fred Astaire is a terrible person and I don't know why his sidekick stays when he's being like so emotionally abused. It's Gene Kelly whatever whichever okay. of them interchangeable i don't i'm a bad gay i don't care not my kind of diva but no it's just this horrible terrible unrequited gay love story that's just so sad i've never make okay it, make it laugh or uh, make him laugh mm-hmm. is i we watched it in screening for one of the first courses i took at michigan in this film studies phd and like i was almost crying it was so pathetic and sad watching this guy like try to get gene kelly's attention please look at me please look at me yeah yeah oh my god but then in xanadu gene kelly comes back and actually is super queer despite his character not being and he was great um also xanadu is mostly on roller skates which also makes it far better than singing in the rain okay and most musicals did you just uh, i'm really mad did you just ruin singing in the rain for me if i go to watch this again i'm gonna be seeing it through <laughs> I your know. i have no idea <laughs> take that Canada. through your <laughs> aquamarine tinted glasses and <laughs> i've ruined a classic film for all of you son of a um, bitch <laughs> anyway but yes, no, the musical numbers in this film were actually surprisingly adult, but the fact that she was branded a young artist 
I mean, Piggy would obviously like that and agree with it. If she was branded as an adult audience, she probably would have kicked someone. I hope Literally. she showed up to that acceptance speech because I that would have been astounding. Probably. It wouldn't shock me. Um, well, the fact that she was even nominated, like that's kind of... Okay, so how does this... All right. I mean, I mean okay, so for the Muppets, I mean, like it's ha-ha fun that they get treated as real people. <laughs> but, but they kind of are. But they also kind of are, which is... Despite the fact that there's now multiple puppeteers behind them, particularly Piggy, um, who Piggy was Frank Oz, right? Yeah. Yeah. Frank Oz is no longer with the Muppets. He didn't sign on to the new movies because he apparently actually because he felt that they were not true to the originals, which I found very interesting. But many of them have actually I mean, Jim Henson's also dead. So all of his characters, including Kermit, went on to new people. Right. Sorry if I just like, you know, Santa's not real to people with the Jim Henson, but he is. (laughs) So and I'm pretty sure if you've seen him up at Christmas Carol, I think that's dedicated to him. Anyway, but they are people, right? Like they and Miss Piggy in particular, actually, in some ways, I think even more than Kermit is a public persona. She is known for making appearances. I mean, she I actually own most, but not all of these. I looked up. Um, She has written many books. Um, (laughs) I have gotten most of them secondhand. Uh, There was um, 1981's Miss Piggy's Guide to Life. 1984 Miss Piggy's Treasury of Art Masterpieces. 1996's In the Kitchen with Miss Piggy, which I don't have and desperately want. And 1997's Miss Piggy's Rules. And 2009's The Diva Code. Um, By far my favorite of these is the 84 Treasury of Art Masterpieces, where they literally have Miss Piggy and the other Muppets inserted into classical works of art. And it's like a picture book if you were going through the Louvre with Muppets. It's so great. The cover is her in that. Um, it's not the Venus de Milo, but that famous Venus one painting where like Venus is rising out of the clamshell. Sure. Lady Gaga went all over it and the applause music video terribly because whatever. And so the cover is Miss Piggy rising out of this mm-hmm. shell wrapped in the um, lavender silk. No, she has this whole public persona attached to her that I think is also part of her larger than life ability to win awards. And be a personage, despite having had multiple puppeteers behind her. Um, Presumably, you know, she's been written by many people. But she's bigger than than a Muppet. I mean, I think the only other Muppet that frankly rivals her is Yoda. Really. Who is is no longer a Muppet and is just a collection of pixels. Right. I mean, like, you see Kermit go off and get, you know, honorary PhDs and things. (laughs) You can't hear this, but Josh just rolled his eyes. (laughs) I but did. He's got his honorary PhDs and things like that, and it's like you, you made <laughs> the compar- someone getting a real PhD, whatever. <laughs> you made this comparison earlier to uh, to finding out that Jim Henson was dead, to finding out about Santa. But like the Muppets are like Santa in that it's this kind of collective thing that we've just all agreed is you know what it's better if it's true so we're just yeah. going to pretend that it is and by extension of pretending it's true we make it real and we give these muppets awards yeah and real people and- who could benefit from these awards lose out on these awards ah! for the ex- I'm going to disagree with you there. I think a lot of shitty people get awards. I'm looking at you, the Oscars, in the last 15 years. Like, Okay. I, well, I'm just saying, perhaps a young <laughs> Pia Zadora would have benefited from winning the young Wait, artist. Was she one of the people who she lost? She was one of the people who lost. <laughs> she might have benefited from being the But on the best other hand, young... maybe losing to a Muppet stoked the fire under these people. No, I don't even believe this is what I'm saying. <laughs> it, but, uh, I'm not going to lie, though. If I lost a contest to Miss Piggy, I would just be thankful that I was even nominated next to her. This is maybe where... This is just occurring to me now, but this is maybe where the Muppets getting rebranded as a children's phenomenon actually helps. Um, because 
if kids want to believe in the Muppets, adults are generally willing to go along with that. Yeah. Like, I mean, my parents did. I try not to think back to what a terrible child and teenager I was. But, like, without the Muppet show, I probably would have been completely incorrigible. It can be devastating to find out that something you really believe in isn't true. Like, I remember um, I was heartbroken when uh, I found out that Ghost Rider wasn't real i i, I used to show. leave scrambled notes out on the on the table oh. and uh, somebody i assumed ghostwriter would come and rearrange them and spell out proper notes for me no um actually i remember that show and i love that show it was probably the only good thing tvo created they had a very serious episode about um nuclear waste or like toxic waste dumping oh that like like one of them got sick because her like there was like all this like unsealed canisters of waste being dumped in like oh a goodness. community garden and people were getting poisoned and Ghost Rider and the team had to like track down the like corporate terrible people. Good lord. Yeah, it was I remember as a kid I was like, Oh my god, what am I what is happening? Although actually, in fairness, um the Muppets twenty eleven very much used that same idea. I knew that Muppet was good when Fox News lost its shit over that film. Yeah, because the uh, the villain is a caricature of an oil baron, and I forget his name now. It was something like like money bags or something ridiculous, and like it's a clearly anti corporate movie, and Fox News lost its mind over it. And anything that makes Fox News that angry, I'm pretty much on board with. Fair enough. Um, I do always love, I love it so much, and Disney's the very best at this, is they throw all this money at making anti-corporate messages so that they can sell merchandise. The irony of Disney being anti-oil baron was hilarious, but it it does show, though, I think, um, another thing that, in a way, that that was true to the original Muppets was that if you're looking for it, the Muppets are full of social commentary, and they always have been. It actually doesn't get super obvious until Muppets in Space in 1998, I would argue, which actually, I think, in a lot of ways ruined Gonzo's character for a movie, and then thankfully they just pretended it never happened. Right, don't they uh, find his species? And... Yeah, but it's it's a really clear coming-to-the-closet allegory. Like, oh, okay. Yeah, Gonzo's gay. Surprise! We had to label the whatever as gay because for some reason whatever wasn't acceptable and it, ugh, whatever. Anger. Gonzo's one of the queerest characters. But no, he's looking for his people, but he spends the whole movie trying to convince the Muppets that he is an alien. And they're all like, you're not an alien. You're just going through a phase. And then Kermit ends up being the like super supportive father who's like, I don't really know if you're an alien and I don't know if I believe you, but we're family. And so I'm going to support you and like be a good patriarch and we love you no matter what. And then the aliens show up and they're all wearing like silver lame and do a disco cover of Celebrate Good Times. So if you don't believe me, watch the final sequence. <laughs> it's like basically all that was missing was Donna Summer. Um, the final sequence. Badoomcha. Yeah. Yeah. No. So that, that movie was a little strange because they were trying for something really cool. And given 1988, the context of the US, Clinton, Don't Ask, Don't Tell, Doma, etc. I get what they were doing, but I'm actually... As a queer scholar, I actually didn't like that film. Because it's better ambiguous, or...? I prefer the ambiguity. I think the show is actually queerer in its original days. Not... <laughs> and the, the definition I'm making here being queer versus gay, where, as an academic, I'll tell you that there's about a bajillion and a half definitions of queer, and you can, like, I don't know, throw a rock into a, co a conference of academics and hit a different definition every time that metaphor made no sense it's queer whatever um yeah let's let's throw <laughs> let's throw especially rocks throwing at, rocks at the queer people yeah, <laughs> at the queer academics yeah. Eh. Yeah. hey as a queer academic there are moments where i want to throw those rocks but um the queerness that i'm using here is sort of like a general difference and an, an opening openness to acceptance it's often associated with like specific lgbt concerns but i think that the muppets actually particularly in the this classic period that we're looking at with the 
caper, use it much more broadly and in a much more like intersectional way that cuts across race and species with the Muppets, um, class, sexuality, gender. Um, and why I love the Muppets as a kid was because of this sort of ambiguous openness that the very like silliness of the puppets allows for. Um, even just like simple things like Kermit the Frog in his like in the original TV show with his little like he'd always talk to the celebrity guests for like a one on one flirting with all the women just always entertained me so much um, and like uh, human and pig women fighting over a frog. There's this very, I think, like post-civil rights thing happening there, for one thing, given the historical context. But there was always this openness to difference and accepting difference and loving characters who are very easy to identify with as a queer person for for and because of who they are, not in spite of it. In particular, here, I'm thinking of Piggy and Kermit's relationship where, I mean, they fight all the time and it's hilarious and they play it for laughs. But like, even for instance, in Caper, right, that scene near the duck pond where they actually in one of many fourth wall breaks in the film and their Kermit's arguing with her because she's overacting the scene. Right. But then no matter how much he criticizes her, he always loves her f- because of who she is. Right. And characters like Gonzo, Fozzie, Animal. Um, I have like a really long list actually of potentially queer like characters you could read as queer. And this was just me like thinking about it off the top of my head. There's always this... Um, acceptance and openness that I think made the show very um, malleable and pliable for marginalized people to identify with mm-hmm. and move themselves into. And I mean, it it seems obvious, but like I'm even going to go back to the first Muppet movie and the most famous song the Muppets ever put out, The Rainbow Connection. And I get that like at the time, the rainbow was not nearly as associated with gay rights as it is now, like historically speaking. And to be perfectly frank, I still don't actually understand what that song is like about. If you listen to the actual <laughs> lyrics, like they don't actually make a lot of sense. But it it's quite the symbol. And I think that the way that it united a generation of Muppets fans and has been taken up, I think it's a really queer, open, accepting message in this sort of broader definition of queerness that I work with. The Muppets have always been this really amazing like loving accepting space Mm -hmm. um until the new television show which blows right Um, (laughs) an example that i'm thinking of just from hearing you say like ones that are popping into mind is one that's played really heavily as a joke but it's the idea of this is a joke that they do they're not shy about going back to a couple times in caper but uh kermit and fozzy being twins twins. yeah so on the surface that's the joke is obviously they look different and that's silly right and when fozzy puts the hat back on like oh yeah totally see yeah Yeah, of course you're twins yeah um and then you even see his parent like oh my god that was one moment i wish i'd never seen Um, they're weird hybrid puppet father beware viewers it's in the first like 15 20 minutes it's in a photo frame close your eyes it's horrific it's shocking Um, Uh, but the idea that you know as long if you look through a different lens that there is this harmony this this similarity between everybody and then the other one that's coming to mind is just it's not about relationships but just about class now granted this movie is fairly critical of the uh of people with opulent amounts of money i mean which is partially based on them being in london right like that's a very british punchline right but but there's all this there's all this love and community that just happens spontaneously by the nature when they show up at the happiness hotel Hotel. and it's just filled with all these these beatniks and musicians and and uh, not failed artists but struggling artists and 
just this this very bohemian kind of community that's come together in this free space and i mean god i'm recording this in a communal shared artistic space so like that was really amazing and the fact that they all just lumped themselves together to the point that all it took was a rallying speech from fozzy for them to all be willing to to give up their lives in defense of something that none of them have any reason to care about no except that they're part of the muppets right except that it matters to one of them so it matters to all of them the happiness hotel i think is actually a really interesting an important part of this film for this argument that I'm making about the queerness of the Muppets in general, this film in particular, it is this really open space. It's where all the like misfits and weirdos go. Um, but for all it's supposedly terrible, like never once is that represented as a bad place in the whole film. And it's, I mean, it's a lot of the center for me of the camp of this film too, which is another thing related to queerness that I study in my own work where camp being, that's another word that has like a bajillion and a half definitions, but um, often associated with gay art where you laugh and make jokes about things in your life that could be terrible. And when you live in a shitty place and whether mentally or socially, and you find a way to make it joyful and use it as a survival tactic. That's really what camp is about, not just about the humor or the irony. I friggin' hate camp theorists who say it's just about irony and critical distance because I think that they've missed the boat entirely. And they should check into the Happiness Hotel <laughs> um, and hopefully have that damn light bulb fall on their head. But um, camp is this like aesthetic style that provides spaces for people who are different. So it provides the like aesthetic and generic impetus for this queerness to be carried out and i don't think it's a mis- it's it's not an accident that the happiness hotel is this dilapidated condemned place where all the misfits and weirdos go it's full of problems but everyone makes the most of it i even pulled out some of the lyrics like you got every kind of critter you got every kind of pest but we treat them all as equals just like any other guest then there's this mention that Kermit, Gonzo, and Fozzie are cleaner than the other guests right after they've shown them in London. But as far as they can tell, they'll fit right in, which I actually it, it's a subtle line. And I recognize I'm doing the film scholar pick a tiny things thing. But like that actually stood out to me as an interesting moment where so rather than this is not the Muppets, this is in the plot. But like, if anything, these these new people here might be too normal for mm-hmm. us. But we'll accept them anyway it's such i had actually i've watched this movie many times but i think the last time i watched it was an undergrad and uh one of my residence managers it was her favorite film i'd forgotten about that number and how really interesting it is i guess maybe that's the one sort of kid-like number two which is also interesting yeah i love 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 everything about the high camp of the muppets and this film really sticks to that in an important way you've brought it up a couple of times i'd like to see if if, if you don't mind, I'd like Please. to hear a little bit more about your relationship with Miss Piggy and the kind of the iconic nature of her status. Because well, before I ask you, I mean, I, I felt like her, it's a strange character because before this, before watching this movie this time, and you're not, you're probably going to gasp, but I'd always seen her as more of a nuisance a than anything yeah. else. Yeah, because like maybe that's because of you know my understanding of life and and things like that. Where I, it was never that I was identifying with Kermit, but I was like, fine, Kermit's the everyman, and his relationship yeah. to everybody else is my relationship to everybody else. And Miss Piggy was yeah, kind of like, Kermit-like. like what? I'm not sure if that's a compliment. Um, Obviously, it is. <laughs> She's still one. Um, Do you flail very much? Do you- quite often? Yes. Good. See. Yeah, he's doing it now. Yay. But watching it this time, I was just, it was, I felt like it was the first time I was like, oh, I get the 
or at least some of the appeal of Miss Piggy and kind of just as a character. She seemed more fleshed out to me before, so I'm excited to hear what you have to say about it. I actually, one of the debates I have most often with people about the Muppets is people generally buy my argument about the Muppets as queer and camp and all of that. People do not often buy my argument that the Muppets are super feminist as well. And actually, it's largely because of Miss Piggy that people either think the Muppets are super feminist or they aren't um, because of the same character. And it has to do with the fact that, like, for one thing, I think if you're watching the show and not actually paying attention to how the humor works and the camp works, then, yeah, Piggy comes across as a pedantic, annoying, self-entitled bitch. Um, However... Where I think where my identification with her starts, and this was before I knew any of those words, because believe it or not, I wasn't saying pedantic at the age of five, was I already identified with that. And frankly, that is a term that like for me as a effeminate, flamboyant, loud, confident, smart gay man, I get thrown at me constantly. Okay. I have students who would I mean, they'd never say it to my face, but like they make it clear that like I am like a piggy like figure to them sometimes. Um, I think I terrify them and impress them. And as someone who is markedly and noticeably different and also fat, another thing that's important about Miss Piggy and another problem with the new show is that I love that none of this holds her back. And if anything, like in this movie, we watch her walk a runway and though it cuts to her fantasy sequence, like Piggy is valued as a larger woman. She is valued as an important and powerful woman. Her confidence is never what's the problem. Her problem is when she sometimes steps on people's toes to get where she goes. But no matter what happens, that's normally a really loving punchline that in no way stops Kermit or the others from loving her. I just over the on Christmas Eve, I was watching rewatching a very merry Muppet Christmas movie with my mom. And like it is a regular feature of these shows that without Miss Piggy, they can't do the show. And they can't because she is everything. And that's not because she's a bitch or a problem despite her talent. It's because that's part of her talent. And that's part of what they love. And it's part of what the public loves about her. Both the public like in the, sh- in the, in the movies mm-hmm. and the real public that wants to give her an award for best children's album. And so for me, Miss Piggy in particular, she is such a kick-ass woman who does not let things stop her. And also actually actively combats them regularly because the people that she beats up (laughs) other than Kermit are people who are idiots and who are anti-feminist jerks like Nikki in this movie. Like he's an ass and he gets his ass handed to him. And that's another thing that the Muppets do that I think is super queer and super feminist. They dole out hilarious comedic justice to assholes. I love that moment for her in this movie where uh, what's the, uh, the, the woman whose jewels get stolen. What's her name? Lady holiday. When lady holiday, um, when miss piggy first shows up and says, uh, I want to be a model. And she kind of gives her a once over and says, well, yeah, that does seem to be where the industry is headed anyway. So making this like fat shaming comment to her and also like lament, what the world is becoming but then as soon as miss piggy disrobes and walks down doing and i think it's very important that it's a a, she's not wearing an evening gown she's not wearing something it's a bathing suit and as soon as she takes off her robe everybody loses their mind and i'm not sure how much of that is right it's hard to know where the fantasy happens but it's an that's an empowering fantasy even if it does end with the punchline of her falling into the fountain but i will just say 
she actually was 25 years or 30 years ahead of the fashion industry there because plus size fashion right now is a massive market. It is a growing thing. Project Runway. Sorry, spoiler. If you watch Project Runway, stop listening now. Project Runway's most recent winner was a fat woman who who a fat dyslexic mixed race woman, Latina in the United States, who created the very first all plus size collection for New York Fashion Week. And it was Fabulous. Believe me, this was not a pity win. It was a fabulous collection. But this is a moment where, like, this show was ahead of its time. I know this probably seems, this might seem like a specious connection, but, like, this is another example, I think, of Piggy being a trendsetter and setting the right tone. And if we're thinking about this, this movie was a family, the films were more family oriented than the original show was. Like, that's a moment where we're watching, there are all these skinny fashion models who end up being the villains just for the record. And the really positive body image that we get in this movie is Miss Piggy. And what's interesting, another thing I did not realize with this film, I don't know if this was intentional, but given what a big Muppet fan Jason Seagal apparently is, I think it was. Two plot points from this basically carry on in the 2011 one, and one of them is that Miss Piggy has risen to basically being um, the editor of Vogue in the 2011 film. Yeah, she's basically uh, which is also Streep and the Devil Wears Prada. Right, it's also a Devil Wears Prada reference especially with emily blunt as her secretary um which and of course devil Wars prada is based on anna wintour of vogue that so that's one thing that she actually did end up basically rising to take lady holiday's place which i never thought of um they also borrow the whole like twins who don't look like each other plot oh centrally. that's true yeah but the gag becomes the plot of the 2011 movie but um no this is such a it's a really great example i think of the very queer feminism that happens on this show and in the movies. And it's not just Miss Piggy either. Like this was a show that featured all kinds of important and powerful women in the industry, um, in really leading roles. Like I can remember, I haven't actually counted, but like, I remember just as many, if not more women as guest stars on the Muppet show than men, many women of color. I also, it based on the time, this probably doesn't work, but like even the way Diana Rigg was playing Lady Holiday, I feel like had to be a Joan Collins and Dynasty reference, even though I think time-wise that doesn't line up. But it has this long, very fleshed out history of divas and important women being treated as equals, um, being treated as trendsetters, um, and being respected for what they do. I understand what you're saying, and I also, I can understand why somebody would have the opposite take on the exact same character because so much of the comedy of miss piggy is also like and isn't that silly like it's that's kind of the joke at the same time is that she seems almost depending on which way you're looking at it i think that it can either be empowering or it can look like oh isn't that cute and be quite like oppressive but that's more about kind of your mindset going into it well but my response to that is actually to go back to my conversation about camp which is where frankly because i'm not teaching right now and i'm in a podcast i'm just gonna get bitchy now but like i think that a that's a misunderstanding of the humor of the muppets okay b my guess is that most of the people who feel threatened by miss piggy are the people that she's critiquing and maybe that should be a sign that they need to do some reflection and think about themselves um to quote the sassy gay friend uh videos online look at your life look at your choices but i I think it's a fundamental misunderstanding of the show because she's not the only one whose characters punchlines end in and isn't that silly gonzo's entire character is based on that right gonzo is a whatever who's a ridiculous daredevil and yet despite that every fucking time that he tries to do something completely insane that never works despite it being a punch a physical gag you know um slapstick three stooges ask punchline every time a, 
No one stops him doing it. B, he's loved for it. C, he just he never gives up. He never stops. He is the most po- he is po- very possibly the most positive character on the whole show. Right. He just never gives up on his dream to do the most bizarre, weird <laughs> things. And that I think it. This is also I think the difference between like satire and direct social commentary, quote unquote, and a more like sort of open space for identification because Mm -hmm. identification is not about seeing a direct representation of yourself this is one of the main things i have to like beat into my students when teaching queer media this is not about seeing an exact representation of yourself it's a i think the good queerness on tv and film is about a space being opened in which you can find somewhere that you in all your weirdness feel like you'd be accepted or feel like you'd fit in and the muppets are specifically and have always been about that rainbow connection about the ability For you to be a like crook nose whatever who's attracted sexually attracted to female chickens who like wants to play the cello while riding a motorcycle be, being shot through flames at Statler and Waldorf's uh, motorhome like this is the space of the Muppets and you can also be a diva bitch who gets what she wants despite the fact that she's only called a diva bitch because of sexism and actually succeed at it right and you can be I think that can even. Uh, be the joke as long as you recognize that the kind of the main like it's it's all in within that safe space that you know it it is that's all about it is silly it is fun yeah the shit that you're stuck with as a way to get through it and survive it and move on right and so again to be perfectly frank i think i've met some people who have like uh, this is not a criticism of you i've met people who have like some very serious and borderline incredibly misogynistic views of miss piggy okay like she's abusive she's terrible to kermit she's a horrible person she uses physical violence terribly and all of this is not like wrong but you're taking this completely out of context yeah. of if, the joke if, and of the space if anything kermit's more abusive to her in this movie than than she is of him well he's just emotionally abusive she just happens to be physically abusive yeah i mean if you want to look at this from a completely serious no humorous standpoint they have a toxic relationship that should involve counseling and or a diagnosis of like stockholm syndrome but this is not a serious film this is not i don't know schindler's list we need to take this in context and to be perfectly frank i think that this is people getting defensive about something that makes them uncomfortable And when I'm in the classroom, it's my job to unpack that and hold people's hands through figuring out what's coming from them and what's coming from the media. Mm -hmm. On a podcast, it's my job to say, well, you need to look at your life and look at your choices. Um, (laughs) I appreciate you holding my hand through that. Can I? Sorry, I had a quote, an iconic quote of Miss Piggy's to like sum up her feminism. Can I do that? Yes, absolutely. So this is I don't even know where she said this. I think it actually was in one of her books, not one of the screen media um beauty is in the eye of the beholder and it may be necessary from time to time to give a stupid or misinformed beholder a black eye (laughs) (laughs) oh i love that so much yeah there ain't no gold stars for miss piggy you can you can have all the awards miss piggy the other thing that i always found interesting about the show and another reason i guess you could call this queer but i think it's just interesting and as part of its openness is that I was thinking about this watching this movie and thinking back to Muppets Take Manhattan in particular and then the the actual very if you know the Muppets obvious but otherwise just sort of funny punchline and most wanted which is have you ever noticed that Kermit and Piggy their relationship and all the relationships in this show never really do anything like they never go anywhere 
and their relationship is actually incredibly not sexual it's really not hetero at all like in the sense of like they never really consummate it piggy and kermit have actually gotten married and it just doesn't stick um like their marriage just never sticks at the end of muppets take manhattan and how they get around this right is that it's clear that the because Muppets in Manhattan has that whole show within a show conceit in it, right? Right. Like, they're putting on a show, and then Kermit gets, for people who haven't seen it, and then Kermit gets amnesia because he gets hit by a taxi because New York sucks. And then Piggy has to, like, convince him that they're in love because he becomes, like, a an ad man. And I think she hits, it's her hitting him, actually, that convinces <laughs> him, like, brings his memory back. I have heard more, like, fringe arguments that they have an SM relationship. That's a whole nother, like, can of worms. But, um, so... At the end, though, they get married because in the show, Manhattan Melodies that they're putting on, the characters get married. But, like, it's a real priest on stage. And so I think because they weren't sure if the Muppets were coming back at that point, because there's uh, between Manhattan and then um, I think the next film is actually Treasure Island in the early 90s. I don't know if they knew they were coming back. And so they left it open to whether they actually got married on stage or not. But said wedding never sticks. The next time they come back, it's never mentioned again. And then at the end of Most Wanted, they almost get married. And they're like, nah. And it it was like a nod to the marriage that never happened. But like all of these relationships are framed narratively as being like standard hetero love stories. And yet somehow... They're not driven by sex. They're not driven by needing to get married. They're not driven by procreating. It seems like, yeah, the relationship in at least the the stuff that I've seen, in meaning the Muppets and uh, the Great Muppet Caper, it seems like they want the early part of like classic Hollywood cinema relationship stuff without ever actually even getting no, they up never to go the marriage anywhere. at the end. It's just like it's a fun framework to play around with. But yeah, there is something well, missing Kermit, Kermit from that. Well, and Piggy are like endearingly and forever in love. Well, until the new bullshit show but um but like other than that though that's really all we ever get you're right it's the beginning of that classic hollywood narrative and it never finishes and i actually think that's that's another really interesting but they also like they're always starting back over yeah it's always they're always falling in love with each other right is that just like hitting the same beat of isn't it funny that a pig loves a frog or on the surface I think so, but I also think that it, again, leaves a lot of openness for where people want to take that relationship in their head and what that means to them. Um, <laughs> the, the, uh, what I'm thinking of right now is it's like uh, it's like Joel and Clementine from Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, that they don't belong together, but they keep hitting reset because they still feel like intertwined with mm. each other, and they get to start the relationship over and over again, but it always goes badly, so then at the next movie they have to start back over. Yeah, that relationship that never goes anywhere, all of the relationships in the show are hetero on the surface like hetero standard love stories and it's somehow like like i think at one point it's implied that gonzo may have married a chicken specifically camilla at one point who camilla doesn't get named i think until one of the movies it's just sort of he's generally a chicken lover and then camilla becomes like his sort of regular chicken lover if that's a thing yeah that's like that's not that's not even you putting that into a framework of something else that's That's just just you explaining how it happens yeah Yeah, it's it's weird because camilla doesn't talk that's what makes it strange is she's just straight up gonzo understands chicken yeah gonzo gets her i suppose if you can talk to r2d2 bb8 then you can uh, talk to a chicken (laughs) exactly I mean, this is just like from a conventional standpoint of the time period, them decentering heterosexual romances, even on a comedy variety show very interesting for the time period um th- i mean this the muppets were originally picked up as a british show and that might have something to do with it like they were syndicated in the u.s they were te- it was technically a british production but yeah 
very strange. Um, and I think also for the time period, I mean, you know, 76 to 81, like we are out of the hotbed of civil rights. But I mean, even it's not hard to read chicken love or pig frog love as interracial romance in sure. a way that's really interesting. Um, Just a quick question. Yeah. Um, how does it play into anything for you that Frank Oz does Miss Piggy? You know, uh, because that seems like a step forward and a step like sideways at the same time. Like, that's that's like me, part that's of the joke of that like, it's a guy. But you, it's also not clear until you see the credits that it's a man. To, to me, it's also that's I think there are some people who are very literally I've talked to people who very literally read Miss Piggy as a drag queen. And I get it. It's not just the voice. It's like her over the top nature, which, again, I think is just people not recognizing all the conventions of camp humor that are being invoked particularly by miss piggy i assume intentionally although frankly camp is the kind of thing where like even if this none of this was intentional it doesn't really matter because all that matters is how we consume it not how it's produced sure um welcome to my dissertation consumption not production but um (laughs) a teaser for everyone who reads dissertations out there i.e no one but i think for me that having now done more background in media studies my guess is that this was not like supposed to be super subversive and is just the fact that this is how voice work is done i mean it this is not just um this isn't something where just men voice women i mean look at um bart simpson voiced by a woman his whole career and another one one of these like larger than lives non-real personalities who become a real thing but like the way voice work works is that people voice multiple things they also frankly originally had very little budget and sure people getting voice you know everyone even in the credits for this you look and like like the top 10 build characters are done by are two like people th- yeah two or three people yeah. yeah yeah just frank oz and jim henson but yeah it's i think that this is a convention of the industry to me that explains sure. it far better than anything else i guess i'd find it weirder if this was like not a convention or if it was just that men voice women but also like women voice male characters can we even assign gonzo a gender I mean, everyone uses male pronouns for him, including, I think, the people on the show, but he never really actually, or they, I should be, okay, to make my argument, like, they never really self-identify except as a whatever, and then an alien eventually, just for that one movie, um, which is another one where they, much like Kermit and Piggy's marriage, they just were like, mm, reset. I don't know if that's a satisfactory answer, and I'm just sort of trailing off now, but. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's good. It's good. It's <laughs> Ellipsis. I just think it's it's also kind of cute that you're like, for everything, it's consumption, not production, and for this one thing, it's production. <laughs> well, yeah, this is the benefit of my training, I guess, but uh, the important thing that I as a cultural studies scholar that I teach my students is like people who are obsessed with like did X director as the auteur mean to do it? Why? That's a question that's full of a lot of fallacies for me. I don't care frankly what Jim Henson intended to do or not because what Jim Henson, I mean on the day of the set, my guess is that Jim Henson intended to hopefully get this done in a, a small number of takes and not go over budget would be my best guess as to intention. I think that we ascribe a lot of in deep intention to real like the realist pragmatic production processes that our media go through that are not necessarily meant to be there it's also and some of, of this is buying into hype and also assuming that like one person like the director is the author of something is ridiculous yeah no, it's like it, it's also kind of a shell when you're kind of getting into yeah. media analysis they're like well the director meant to do this instead of i think this like it's kind of a you get to reassign the blame in case your idea is stupid well there's that but also like sometimes 
you know, if we believe hype machines, which I think we should be deeply skeptical of, but um, sometimes, yeah, how the, how a movie is received lines up with what the director, writer, editor, whoever meant meant us to want to hear. Sometimes they don't. Because some, no matter what you intend to do, we might intend for this podcast to be funny, but some people are going to listen to it and be like, who is this academic jerk-off? He should go back to America because he's full of stupid ideas. I may, I didn't intend for that to be <laughs> what happened, and I'm pretty sure you didn't in inviting me here, but that could happen. So for me, why I think it's important to look at how something's produced, but at the end of the day, you whatever you produce, you don't get to control how it's consumed you don't get to control how it's taken up in pop culture you don't get to control who likes it and hates it ang lee intended to be not homophobic and mostly just ended up being an idiot and broke back mountains so there you go the way i consumed that was that that at the time i loved it and now looking back it's a terrible film so whatever <laughs> um so i think that yeah that for me is why regardless of whether who voiced who and what was meant to happen what has happened to the muppets is that they've become this symbol of acceptance and openness and for many people a queer camp icon particularly for me miss piggy but gonzo fozzy all of i mean fozzy the ineffective comic who still gets to go out on stage every night and be what he is and have this weird sort of emotional sm relationship with statler and waldorf and like he's a beautiful creature which is why when they crack the fucking bear joke in the first episode of uh the new show i nearly lost my shit all right so let's so we've, we can we've, segue. we've been dancing around this for long enough so i haven't <laughs> seen the sucks. new show i need to hear i need to hear your opinion it sucks so hard do you care to elaborate sure um okay so the fozzy joke i was referencing in the first episode one of the actually there have been i haven't watched every episode that airs largely because tuesday night at eight occasionally scream queens was an hour or two hours long and i cared more about watching that because the new muppet show sucks scream queens watch it it's everything you want high camp watch scream queens so this bear joke Fozzie's driving to meet the parents of his human girlfriend which it's cool that he has a human girlfriend she gets developed somewhat throughout the series she's one of the more interesting characters but he's driving and it's the show is in this like i don't know it's like they're trying to do the office with like confessionals and stuff and so he's talking to the camera in the car and he was like, at first, when I was trying out online dating, I wasn't having a lot of luck. But I guess when you say that you're like a lonely, sensitive bear looking for company, you know, I wasn't really getting the hits that I want. Uh, not that there's anything wrong with being a bear. And of uh. course, he never actually says that that's a subcategory of gay male culture. He's just assuming you know that because bears are in right now because of lumber sexuals, basically. But um, there was this, it, that kind of weird crack. They're trying to make the Muppets all like adult and edgy, and, and they're doing it with these tired jokes, and they're doing it on a major network at 8pm, which means they can't actually push the envelope that far based on when it's airing, which means that most of them are falling flat. But I think what it really comes down to is that they have made the Muppets no longer kind. Because no matter how mean what the Muppets say, I mean, particularly looking at Piggy and Kermit's relationship... They always, it was very clear that this was always for laughs and they love each other. And they're like that, you know, couple you know in your life who argue all the time, but clearly do it from a place of love and it's just how they interact with each other. Whereas now they're just mean. They are just cruel. Piggy and Kermit have broken up, which A, I was so excited about the new show. And then when I, all the new promo came out that they'd broken up, I got this like sinking feeling in the pit of my stomach that turned out to be right. Um, so the premise now is Piggy hosts a night nighttime talk show jimmy fallon-esque or whatever 
and Kermit is her producer, despite the fact that they're now exes. And Piggy's a diva bitch, but is no longer for laughs. Um, the number of fat jokes cracked in the first two episodes about her were hideous. She's completely out of touch with reality and completely out of touch with everyone around her and no longer is nice to anyone. Um, Kermit has dumped her for a skinnier, more conventionally pretty pig. Who is... Um, the other thing I want to say about Mosiki, she's really fucking smart. This new pig is like being presented basically as the more acceptable, dumber, kinder, enabling Kermit, like pretty girl. Huh. She's an empty character. He replaced her for a more conventional woman who just happens to be a pig still. And it's really fucked up. So is, is that going somewhere? Like, is it just kind of playing well, that, the long game towards a Muppets resolution? No. See, the thing is, I assume that this was a publicity stunt and clearly the new pig was not going to be. But like in the first five episodes, I think she only showed up once or twice. And she was completely vapid character and was like enabling Kermit like emotion eating or something. It was really weird. But it seems like they had some like backstory on Piggy and Kermit breaking up, which apparently was basically that Kermit no longer could deal with Piggy and was like, fuck you and really hurt her like really bad. On the one hand, I was glad they made it clear that it wasn't just they didn't just make Piggy the villain, but like they made Kermit a villain, which, okay, no, that not at all what should be happening but yeah it's but like that's not what his character and fine like and then he replaces her with with this empty terrible like bowing down to conventional beauty standards and like women should be docile and support men and be pretty especially compared to the fat bitch yeah who gets what she wants and is successful it's really ugly they've made all the characters mean They've made them narcissistic in a non-campy, funny way. The camp's been completely evacuated. Um, and all in the name of doing this, like, new, edgy, like, show-within-a-show Muppets thing. And it, like, it goes for me, like, a lot of people are very rightly criticizing that the jokes aren't that funny, they're tired, nothing's really new, mm-hmm. but just from a comedy standpoint. But, like, they have evacuated the soul of the Muppets. This is not the Rainbow Connection anymore. This is, like... Rainbow daggers chucked in your back. Um, not that I have feelings. <laughs> <laughs> you sounded like you got a little choked up there. Uh, I, did, <laughs> I am a little bit. I, I thought I could do this without getting choked up, and apparently I can't. Like it's it's really sad. They did have the one. There was one moment that was good. Dave Grohl came on the show and had a drum off with Animal, which was nice. really cute, and was much more of just like a sort of out of the narrative moment in the show that was more of a harkening back to the original. Like there have been some funny moments, but like. Uh, yeah like even kermit and fozzie's relationship like kermit at one point they they go out to trivia and fozzie's so impressed with how smart his girlfriend is because he's also now being played off not as like adorably not the smartest but as dumb like fozzie is now dumb but kermit's convinced that the girlfriend is cheating at trivia because she keeps getting all the answers right and she keeps looking at her phone and so this whole episode is basically based around kermit deciding that he has to like do his best friend a solid and tell him what a liar his girlfriend is, which is a questionable, like, bro trope at best. It turns out that she was actually ordering something really special for Fozzie. And so, like, it works out okay, and they have the traditional Muppet, like, I'm sorry, Fozzie, as your friend, I should have trusted you and not lied to you and not been, like, tried to break you up with your girlfriend. But it was just... it. If I'd seen that on The Office, I would have been like, whatever, Dwight, you're an asshole. Like, this is part of the character. Seeing it on The Muppets was like, Mm -hmm. okay, no, fuck you too. Like, thanks for ruining my childhood. That's great. 
Kermit is not this person and he never has been. And how you could take someone who rocketed to fame singing the song The Rainbow Connection and turn him into this like fat shaming swine, and I use that purposely, uh, is just boggling to yeah. me mind-boggling i would be curious to know kind of where it goes further on like if it is a long game or if it's just or i mean if it is a long game it sounds like it wasn't done well given because... the ratings i'm not convinced the show is going to stick around long enough for there to be a long game frankly fair enough um the way the networks are going right now with uh ratings in decline for the major networks as is even abc bankrolled by disney is not doing particularly well and i do not think they'll actually keep the show running yeah but um again just industrial pragmatics but yeah i don't know if it is a long game I honestly don't see how they can reconcile when all they're doing is being so cruel to each other. And I, if they do reconcile, I don't see how it's going to read as authentic in any way. Right. It, yeah. It would seem more like a backtrack at this point than like, oh, crap, people aren't liking this. Let's uh, let's let's go back to what it was before that we pretended that this wasn't right. Because like in a lot of ways, like, I mean, Piggy and Kermit's romance in some ways reminds me of like days of our lives without the you know dead cousins twin brothers bastard children and you know your mom backstabbing you like they just their relationships just constantly able to reset and be this so over the top and melodramatic that it is simultaneously believable but also idealized and something that we can all aspire to despite it being completely unreal and we all know that um by trying to put them in this like gritty real place i think it's just gotten terrible I guess that's a good reason to not check it out. And if it never shows up on Netflix, I never have to talk about it again. Just to try and bring it back to the film you might actually watch on Netflix. I think this movie is a really great example, though, of the original 80s Muppets. Um, It's a great place to start if you've never seen the Muppets. Um, I think that this is the Muppets that are worth showing to your kids, whether they were meant to be kids movies or not, that are worth watching and that are worth watching critically and with an eye to how awesome they can be for your life. Wonderful. Well, the way that I always like to wrap these up is uh, since we watch this on Netflix, I'd like to know what star rating it gets in your own personal Netflix profile. So either one, two, three, four, or five stars. One star means you hated it. Two stars means you didn't like it. Three stars liked it. Four stars really liked it. And five stars means you loved it. As well, I want to know your MVP for the movie, although I think that that might have already been spoiled for us. So do you want to get us started uh, rating an MVP? I'd say five um or eight stars and i am gonna say piggy however most valuable pig yeah yeah i do want to um i actually think in this film gonzo actually gets a shout out because for all that gonzo is usually the ridiculous one who you don't have to pay attention to he's actually the one who solves most of the actual mystery now the uh, the the ineptitude of the other muppets the comic ineptitude generally ruins that for him but he's actually the one who puts all the shit together by being very smart so watch for that he also partially puts things together because he happens to be following some really authentic but nobody else is going to appreciate it artistic inclinations yeah like photo essays about kneecaps exactly like that's how he discovers the main plot is because he's underneath the table photographing people's kneecaps but for once gonzo was actually useful without being a weird coming out of the closet allegory so i also want to give gonzo an mvp on this one all right um for me uh i'll give this this conversation five stars but for the movie itself um i started off feeling so much of the the muppet and henson magic and i kind of started to lose it towards the middle um it just it started to to drag a little bit i don't think that the narrative supports what the concept is (laughs) especially once we get into the you know the the final jewel heist and things like that and that final 
action sequence like I, honestly i got kind of bored but there's so much to it and it, it's part of something more magical so if, for me it's going in as a three stars but hopefully oh. hopefully uh when i put a five star for the new muppet movie it'll uh it'll start to suggest them as they come back you're a cruel and vicious critic it is a see here's the thing is these are personal ratings <laughs> not like a, i'm setting this to stone you know, and publishing so it somewhere develop entirely new genres for me like other movies featuring strong female puppets exactly do you know what netflix recommends though if you when you look at this movie it's like beverly hills chihuahua 3 if it's like if you liked this then it was like oh come on no No. actually no i would not like that at all my mvp is well i think i'll split mine too so miss piggy because i got to discover that miss piggy is not just a nuisance yeah um so bully for you frank oz and the other one was john cleese (laughs) (laughs) because that bit that whole bit was amazing like the the, the super stoic british couple who just like even when house for 12 years even when their house has been invaded by a pig and a frog they can't they can't work up anger they have to maintain like they politely offer a place poker and then it's like oh gosh behind his back like uh, well, that's really more of a supper club, dear. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so good. But it also, and I think this was also part of the reason why the, sh- the movie didn't quite resonate with me as much as I would have liked, is because the cameos, as well as I think some of the humor of the movie, um, haven't aged terribly well. Like, for me, I, like, I have no, the only cameo person that I recognized was up to and including Diana Grigg, or Diana Rigg, was uh, John Cleese. Like, I didn't, I was like, Diana regular kind of familiar. I wasn't sure even who she was. Um, so not Oscar. Well, I mean, I recognized Oscar. Yeah, when he said, "Yeah, I'm here for a cameo." Great line. Um, what are you doing here? I'm here for a brief cameo. Me too. Right. So there were all these beats where I was like, "You are clearly a cameo to something," but I don't know who you are. Like when Peter Fox showed up, I was, like I yeah. read about it afterwards, and it just kind of it felt like it wasn't for me in the way that 2011 The Muppets was more for me. I get that, but that's more of an accident of birth. Like, right, and that's what, it's not. But that's what I'm saying. Like from in my sub, in my subjective experience of the movie, there enough. were beats that didn't resonate for me, and also the fact that some of the they were not shy about going back to the same well for a lot of jokes over and over again, which sometimes worked. That's stylistically a Muppet humor yeah. thing. They they beat they beat gags pretty hard. Yeah. Um. So sometimes it worked really well, like when, uh, like when they were throwing them off of whatever oh the vehicle of transport yeah. where they were, or even when it happens again on the bus. Like some of that was really funny. But like, how many times did they go back and make jokes about being a twin, and half of them were funny, and the other half were like, "God, are you still doing this?" But then they they seem to be like staggering it. So it's like, oh. I want to be mad at this joke, but damn, that line was funny. Like, of course, that's not a yeah. bear. Bears wear hats. Like, <laughs> right. So it was it was hit and miss for me with the humor and uh, and yeah yeah I, I missed the boat on some of the fun of the cameos, but you know overall I, like, it's a great experience and it's a great world to be a part of. So I can't really fault it for that. I generally try to push back on people with comedies about the whole argument of like this didn't age well, mostly because like when we watch a dramatic movie that's old and like there are things there that don't age well either whether technological or like conventions of narrative that we now find cheesy yeah because it's citizen kane people forgive it yeah in a way that they won't forgive like i don't know queen christina or well no people forgive that too but like or i don't know a chaplain film and 
yeah, I think it's worth trying to find find the moment and relive it. Sure. Even though you never lived it the first time. Right. All right. Well, that's going to be everything uh, as far as the ratings and MVP. Uh, is there anything going on with you that people should know about are you do you have like an online presence do you have like a do i you, should do you I don't. tweet do you I don't uh, i'm for a media scholar i'm i'm a terrible curmudgeon about technology so no not yet and now i feel silly but no no problem i i, I have a blog and plans but not Ooh. yet and so well when that happens you make sure that you let me know so that we can get it out there sure all right well, thank you so much for doing this. I had a great time having this conversation. and uh, Thank you for having me. And getting to appreciate even more of the Muppets than I did going in. So. Hooray! Amazing. Yay. Let's Kermit flail our <laughs> Kermit way Kermit arm flail. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> it's Dylan Clark. I love that. Thank you. everything for this week from the netflix podcast if you like what you heard today head on over to netflixblog.wordpress.com to check out the rest of the netflix content like show notes articles reviews as well as a weekly look at what's new on canadian netflix you can also find us on our social media platforms we're on facebook as netflix twitter at netflix pod or me at dylan clark moore and we're on tumblr and soundcloud as netflix podcast if you'd like to support the show, there are a few ways you can do so. You can start by heading over to iTunes and subscribing so that each week's episode comes straight to you. While you're there, drop a rating and a review to let us know what you think. You can also contribute directly to Netflix by way of our Patreon campaign. Whether it's for the rewards like shoutouts on the podcast or customized content, or if you'd just like to see us keep doing what we're doing, you can pledge your support over at Patreon.com. The Netflix podcast is produced and edited by me, Dylan Clark Moore. The theme music was provided by Zach Moore. Speaking of music, the the piece you're hearing right now is another track off the album Forest City Series, Volume 2. This one's called Evergreen by artist Para Palabras. I'll be sure to include proper credit and links in today's episode's show notes. Thank you so much for checking out this week's episode of the Netflix Podcast, and be sure to join me here next week for a whole new conversation about a whole new movie from the Netflix catalog. Because even if you think you've seen it all, baby, you ain't streamed nothing yet. Nothing yet.